Texas talking ball. What was that that you said? Texas talking ball. Gonna hoop up beside your head. Texas talking Tell me who can you trust when Texas has Hi, this is Maria Shriver of NBC News and the Shriver Report, and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast. That's what they tell me it's called. So welcome. It's 2014. Happy New Year. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with a special Tribcast to kick off the new year. We'll be hearing from many different reporters, but first up is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Jay Root. Howdy. And Corey McClagan of the Texas Tribune. Hi. Welcome. This is your first one, right? It is. Does, does my hair look okay? It looks good enough for this. I mean, I don't know if you'd want to go out on a real show. Okay. But we'll get by. I think we're going to have Jim Mallis is going to have his first debut on here, too. It's a good way to start the year. Awesome. But we are looking, we're trying to look forward, as we always do. Uh, and maybe we'll start with Jay, since you've been following the governor's race. And I think the governor's race might, you know, be one of the more notable stories of the year. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Greg Abbott and Wendy Davis are both going to win their primaries. What? <laughs> um, I think they're going. To, I think it's going to get hot and heavy pretty quickly in the governor's race. Um, the, you, you, Tom Pawkin has dropped out, and even though he wasn't even going to come close to winning, I think that he got under Abbott's skin a little bit, and so that's gone. So they're they're the. I think the gloves will come off fairly early in that race. That's my prediction. And then. Will, I mean, will they just tear each other apart, or will it be a? I, I think. I mean, I think what's going to be notable is that I, I don't. I don't think you're going to see Abbott, at least at least the the people that you know, including in his campaign and the Republican Party, have been attacking her as a Washington style liberal. I think that's going to continue. They're going to try to hang Obama around her neck. They're going to talk about all the out of state fundraising figures uh, and the money that she's gotten from out of state and the trips that she's taken out of state to raise money. Um, So I think you'll see a continuation of that. I think you'll see Wendy Davis, though, get more aggressive and become a little bit more like what we've seen in some of the other states, like in Virginia, where you're going to see them paint the Republicans as extremists and... um, you, you know, I, I think Ted Cruz, they're going to use him. They're going to use the whole shutdown. They're going to they're, they're going to be a little more conventional, I think, than we're than we're used to. Um, well, anyone will people talk about like actual issues like what about like education? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that education is going to be actually a, a, a pretty hot topic because Wendy, that's all Wendy Davis wants to talk about. And of well, course we have Morgan the ongoing Smith lawsuit. Talk about that, so don't steal her thunder. Okay. Well, but, but those candidates, you know, one of the things about the governor's race this time is that it's one of those races where the distinctions between the two candidates on policy stuff and on ideology are pretty stark. And, and the same is true in the lieutenant governor's race. I mean, th- those races could actually have pretty solid policy arguments. Um, bor- could- boring as that might be. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, where's the most daylight between them? Or is there, or I guess where's the least daylight between them might be more interesting. Well, I think, you know, Davis is going to try to paint, uh, actually Tom Pawkins' best line to get under Abbott's skin was that he's running for Perry's fifth term. And and I think Wendy Davis, to a great extent, is going to run against what the Democrats haven't liked about Rick Perry's tenure and make Abbott either defend it or abandon Rick Perry. I think that's going to put Abbott in an uncomfortable spot. 
Well, and what you're hearing from them right now is that he won't take a position on anything, on vouchers, on whether or not the cuts to education in 2011 were appropriate, uh, path to citizenship for immigrants, uh, on the so-called Texas Dream Act or in-state tuition for young, undocumented immigrants. Um, he has he sort of has taken this mend it, don't end it approach, but he hasn't really said exactly what he would do to fix it. So just the silence and the sort of vague answers that Abbott has given is something that the that the um, Davis campaign is trying to exploit right now. Well, Ross, what about further down the ticket? Could this be the on the 20th anniversary of the Democrats last statewide victory? Will they see a a rerun? I, I, I think it's a long shot. I mean, you know, there's always a shot. There's always a window, but I think it's a pretty narrow window. It's still a Republican state. The Republicans still have most of the money and, you know, the organization on the ground. The Democrats are still, you know, that's what Battleground Texas and some of these other things are. They're still trying to put together some kind of ground campaign so they can get voters to turn out. In 2008, when Obama and Clinton got to Texas and they were still in a race. Um, 2.4 million people showed up in the Democratic primary. And in every Democratic primary since then, the number's been about 700,000. So there's about 1.7 million Democrats that they haven't been able to get back off the couches, and they're still trying to figure that out. I I just don't think they're organized today well enough to do that, whether they can do that in a year. If they can do that in a year, it's quite a hat trick. Well, and of course, people uh, assume that sort of the demographic change in Texas will play a significant role in the electoral outcomes moving forward. And luckily, Corey happens to be our demographics <laughs> reporter. Yes. Um, as the demographics reporter, my the thing I'm going to be watching most next year is the growth of Texas. But other than that, I'm going to be watching the governor's race as well. And I think, um, you know, looking at, at, at women voters is going to be really interesting. You have uh, Wendy Davis running for governor, Leticia Vandepute running for lieutenant governor. Um, I think you're going to see both Republicans and Democrats really fighting over women voters um, who in Texas tend to be – they're more likely to identify as moderate than men. They're less likely to identify with the Tea Party, but um, this is still Texas, and that doesn't mean that they're – they're all Democrats by right. by any means, and so I think there's going to be a a big fight there, and it'll be fun to watch. So, are you predicting that Texas is going to grow? Yes, that is my <laughs> that is my prediction. Texas bold. will keep growing. Yes. I, I heard a little conversation with some Democrats who were close to the Davis campaign, who told me that there's sort of this calculus that if you know to the extent that they can get female white female voters to vote for them. Um, and you know that are Republicans basically, uh, then that reduces the number of minorities and other maybe casual voters that they've had a harder time getting to the polls. So, obviously, that makes a big difference if you can if you can peel some of the support away from Greg from what Greg Abbott could normally expect. And is that something that we'll have a sense of how well they're doing? When the primaries happen, or is that what we really won't know until we get to November? You know, there's not really much reason for voters to show up more reason than normal for voters to show up for the Democratic primaries because there's no races there. Most of the candidates there are running alone, and and most of the fighting that's going to go on leading up to March is in the Republican primaries. The place where you see competition and competition bringing voters out in terms of Democrats is, is toward the November races. Well, 
I think that might have to conclude our little uh, political segment here because we have a lot of other reporters to get to. But Jay, Corey, and Ross, thanks for joining us to kick us off here. And now we're going to move on to another panel. Happy New Year. Joining me now is editor Emily Ramshaw. Hi, Reeve. Reporter Nina Satija. Hi. And reporter Morgan Smith. Hello. Thank you. You all seem very excited to be here. <laughs> We're thrilled. This is the first Tribcast I've ever been on where there are three women. The ratio. All right. Three to one. Represent. Hmm. Oh, so we've messed up. I'm going to get in touch with my scheduler. <laughs> Won't happen again. Well, since you mentioned that you want to go first, uh, we are asking everyone. Since of, we're talking about women. Yes. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you're the expert. On women. On womanhood. Morgan and Nina Why does she get to be the yeah. expert? <laughs> she just is. She's been doing it longer. Who, who says you get That's to fair. decide who's the I expert? I get to decide. <laughs> I've, been, I've been being a woman for longer than, <laughs> than I have. Exactly. All right. And so you probably are really keeping up with what's going to be going on in 2014. On women's health. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm going to talk about um, uh, both women's health, abortion issues, and also health care in general. So I think what we're looking at in 2014 are a couple of things in the women's health um, area. Basically, first of all, we're going to be trying to see whether uh, the state's efforts to keep Planned Parenthood out of state family planning services, what the long-term impact is going to be on women, uh, low-income women in particular, receiving state health services. So uh, Becca Aronson, who I'm standing in for today, had a story last week about the women's health program that's now run by the state and how claims uh, were down pretty dramatically for well-woman exams and for contraception uh, since the state forced Planned Parenthood clinics out of that program. Uh, state leaders have said, just give us a little bit of time. We expect those numbers to look you know, great again in a year's time, and we're putting more money into it. So I think we're really going to have to see in the next six months or so whether those numbers turn around and whether low-income women are getting access uh, to women's health care in Texas. Um, from an abortion standpoint, you know, we now have some of the strictest abortion rules in the country that have taken effect here in Texas. So I think it's really going to be interesting to watch and see in 2014 uh, whether you know, uh, access to abortion declines dramatically as we expect it to with these uh, regulations, or whether we're going to see, you know, Planned Parenthood and other clinics sort of trying to find new ways around this legislation, finding more money to, you know, comply with state laws um, and and find ways to provide abortions for women in Texas. So those are sort of the women's health stories we're going to be looking at in 2014. You know, from a health care, Obamacare standpoint, I think 2014 is really, you know, where when some of these big deadlines take effect for people to have health coverage in Texas. I think it's still yet to be seen, you know, how many folks will get registered through the federal insurance marketplace in Texas. Um, I think it's going to be pretty fascinating to see what the numbers look like in Texas versus other states, because Texas is a state that is not expanding Medicaid. So, you know, big strain on state services trying to get women uh, and men uh, who don't have health coverage enrolled. Um, so it'll be a really, really interesting year to watch. Becca's beat will not be uh, dry. That's probably why she's on vacation right now. Exactly. She's taking it now in, in the end of 2013 so that she can come back and never take a day off in 2014. <laughs> and I told her I'd mention cats on this podcast. So cats, cats, cats. That was too many mentions. We're sort of <laughs> like, you know, we're over My it. allergies. Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about the environment that the cats of Texas live in. <laughs> Aren't cats ruining the environment yes. with their that's litter? Gonna, that's going to be the oh, big story of 2014, story. I think. And they I take all the rodents. There. They're, like, terrible. Oh, yeah, they kill the birds, well, too. thank you for the tip. No, there's really nothing good about <laughs> cats, I think, is the message that Becca wanted us to convey. There's only – the good thing about cats is when they don't have tails and they're named rabbit. Exactly. Ouch. That is uh, – that's Morgan's cat that you're describing. But we're not <laughs> going to Morgan. We're going to Nina now. Nina, tell us about 
the big environmental news we should be expecting in 2014? Well, the main thing that I'll be doing is praying for rain, as always, which is what I do every morning. That's kind of biased, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But really, you know, I think that... She's in the pocket of big rain. (laughs) We've gotten a lot of rain. We had, I mean, Austin had its worst flooding, I think, in the city's history or in in decades. Um, And yet we still have Lake Travis and Lake Buchanan at 37%. So we were still in an extreme drought in a lot of the state, even if it's less uh, than it was in the past because of a rainy fall. So that's obviously going to be something to watch, and there are going to continue to be battles, especially on the Brazos River and on the Colorado River, over who is entitled to more water, frankly. Is it the cities? Is it the industry? Is it Dow Chemical on the lower end of the Brazos? Is it the rice farmers? Um, all of those. So who is it? I wouldn't wouldn't presume. <laughs> so far, the cities have been winning out. I think we could probably argue that, um, and it would be very interesting if that changed. Um, there are going to be some court cases to watch. Um, especially on the federal side, the Supreme Court, uh, Texas versus EPA will be, you know, up and running next year. Uh, the Supreme Court's going to hear a big case in February, argued by Texas and a few other states and some industry groups, I think, um, again, on, on greenhouse gas permitting, on whether that's something that should be happening in Texas and other states. Um, the cross-state air pollution rule was just um, argued by Texas and some industry groups this just a couple weeks ago. Supreme Court will probably rule on that sometime next year. We're actually waiting to hear still about the Hooping Cranes case, which we should have heard about. Um, Hooping. Hooping Cranes case. Um, I think it's. I think whooping sounds better, but that sort of sounds strange. Is so. whooping the the proper? I always I say whooping. whooping. Really? Like, oh, I say whooping. I've been told that it's right. whooping. Whooping well, cranes. People have. I just can't figure this out. People man. can tell it's us. I guess you know. We, can, we might as well just tell the email <laughs> now. I've definitely heard people say whooping and like like experts. I've but anyway, s- no, if but you they, have an uh, answer to this question, email. Yes, yeah. please. I would <laughs> really appreciate that. It's tribcast at texastribune.org. Yeah, I mean, my former you know. Yeah, as a as a former radio reporter, I thought about this, but then. I haven't really since actually having well, you on this podcast. So this is something. This is like uh, you know a thing to put on your New Year's resolution <laughs> is to determine. <laughs> to determine that's a, that's a good resolution to have. So yeah. Anyway, we're going to hear. I, we sh- we should have heard uh, weeks ago, really, uh, the federal appeals court uh, decision on that. But basically, uh, that's a really big case. Really, really short description. The hooping or whooping cranes um, at Aransas National Refuge. Um, uh, way down, kind of on the Gulf Coast. That's Aransas. 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 <laughs> so there we go. All right. New Texas. Morgan, that's a little me. bit condescending. Aransas. Aransas. Um, so anyway, yeah. So uh, Aransas National Refuge, uh, the hooping cranes that live there, supposedly a bunch of them died a couple of years ago because of the lack cranes. of inflows. <laughs> what? It's cranes. <laughs> Not cranes. <laughs> <laughs> bunch of, a bunch of them um, died a few years ago, and the question is why? Was it because of a lack of environmental flows? Of course, they are an endangered species, and supposedly the state of Texas could be responsible for a taking of, of these um, dead cranes, depending on what happens in this case, and that could have major implications for how you know for water planning and possibly across the country. So that will be a very interesting case to watch. So yeah, lots of lots of court battles on air pollution and endangered species. In March, the lesser prairie chicken um, may or may not become listed as a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act, which has a lot of implications for the oil and gas industry um, because they seem to um, be encroaching on the uh, prairie chicken's habitat. So there'll be a lot going on. And, of course, the oil and gas boom will probably continue to be a boom and will continue to draw criticism from environmentalists and conservationists who are concerned about its impacts on the land. So that's something that 
will always be following. So a lot right. of stuff going on in the environment, as always. And what about in the schools? So Morgan's here. That is. Where, where the kids get educated on how to pronounce things. Nails. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think st- starting out, there'll be a lot to keep track of, both in the policy side and the political side when it comes to education. We have a governor's race in which education is is there's a lot of indications that education is going to be a major topic of discussion. I think Democrat Wendy Davis, who has made her record on education kind of a centerpiece of her campaign, has identified that as a way to 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 make this race competitive. Um, but we have also seen her Republican opponent, Attorney General Greg Abbott. Re- where to identify people. Thank you. I've been practicing that. Yeah. Um, he has has kind of taken a very proactive stance to introduce himself to voters as someone who cares about education and is currently wrapping up a series of education roundtables around the state, which is which is something you know we haven't. It's it's unusual to see um, a Republican candidate who and he doesn't have a a real competitive opponent in the Republican primary, but it's unusual to see that. Um, engagement on education issues so early before a general election. And so, and then on the policy side, we could see Texas uh, start the year as it did, start 2014 as it did 2013 with a ruling in the school finance case uh, since this last legislative session where Early on, um, a trial court judge found that the school finance system was unconstitutional and had not adequately funded the state's school districts since a legislative session when about two-thirds of that funding has been put back in and we've changed some of the, st- the graduation and testing standards. Uh, that trial court judge has decided to revisit the trial, and that will happen at the start of January. And then whatever happens... At that point, uh, that case is still likely to continue all the way up to the Texas Supreme Court. So that'll be an ongoing uh, news item throughout the year. And then beyond that, we have we're going to be watching the implementation of two major pieces of education legislation. One of which I already referred to that changed graduation requirements for uh, Texas students, and another which expanded the state's charter school system. All right, three very busy beats. So I will let. I thought you were going to say three very busy bees. <laughs> Which you are. So I'm, I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to bring in another set of three illustrious Texas Tribune reporters. They won't be as interesting as this three. We'll see. We win. Ask them how to say whooping crane. Yeah, yes. well, that'll be an ongoing, ongoing debate. debate. Yeah. Ongoing debate of 2014. Ongoing news item. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm joined by managing editor Brandy Grissom. Hello, Reeve. Reporter Aman Bathija. Hi there. And reporter Jim Mallowitz. Howdy. Making his podcast debut, I think. It is, yeah. Um, I'm with a, incredibly Making his debut nervous. with a howdy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Texan. Yeah. <laughs> You've taken to Texas pretty fast. Yeah. No, I, I was preparing myself even before I got to Texas by, by ingraining that in my, my brain. And it's, it's all I say now when mm-hmm. I greet people. So It's all most of y'all should say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I still can't get to the y'all. It, it just doesn't sound right. When, You'll get there. You guys. It'll happen before you know it. So I guess, well, let's start with Brandy. It's a good place oh. to start. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to 2014. You cover oh. criminal justice. Anything on the horizon that we should know about? Well, it'll be interesting to see who gets elected to the Court of Criminal Appeals. Um, 
the nine of the nine justices on the court, three are um, stepping down this year. It's the most ever at one time in the court's history. And so um, what do they not like about the Court of Criminal Appeals that is causing this flight? Well, they've just been there for a long time. Time to do something different. So and one of them is the guy that switched parties, right? Um, I think that's right. Larry Myers. 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 Yes. So um, it'll be an interesting time to see how those changes on the court affect the rulings that come down. Um, you know, for the long time, longest time, the court has been known as a prosecu- prosecutor-friendly court. So um, elections could make a difference in that. We'll see. And we'll also see how the um, sort of public perception of the justice system and has changed in light of cases like Michael Morton and Anthony Graves and some of the exonerations that have happened recently and, you know, the court's role in in extending the time that those men spent in prison. Is there a sense that that is changing? I mean, what, CNN just did a big Michael Morton special, and obviously he, Anthony Graves, Cameron Todd Willingham has stayed in the news for years. I mean, is there a sense that any of this is actually having an effect on how the criminal justice actually works in Texas? I mean, I think if you look at what happened during the last legislative session with the Michael Morton Act, something which requires people, requires uh, prosecutors to open up their files to defense attorneys. And so there was that bill, then there's another one that holds prosecutors accountable for when they make mistakes. These are things that in the past prosecutors fought hard against. And because of the sort of public pressure put on lawmakers by people who had serious questions and reservations about how the criminal justice system is working, the legislators felt like they had to do something at that point. So I think when you see legislators starting to make those big changes in response to what their voters feel are necessary changes, um, clearly it's having some sort of impact. Uh, Naman, what are we looking for in transportation in 2014? More gravel roads? Uh, that probably won't be happening. TxDOT has kind of put a put that program on the shelf and they say if they do it again, they'll... It was so popular. Yeah. <laughs> say if they do it again, they'll hold a hearing in the area where they're going to do it and let people shout at them about, <clears throat> why are you turning my road to gravel? So I don't think they want to go through that. So they're probably not going to do that again. But uh, I think the big thing in transportation next year is going to be high-speed rail. It's going to get more attention in Texas probably than it has in 20 years. Uh, this company called Te- Texas Central High-Speed Railway, uh, it, they're backed by Japanese investors that know how to run uh, bullet trains, and they say they're going to reveal the route that they want to use for uh, building a high-speed rail from Houston to Dallas. But that doesn't mean we're going to get high-speed rail in 2014. No, but once they do that, which is expected to happen in the early part of next year, uh, they're going to have public meetings all along the route to talk to people about you know, what it means if the train goes there and where the stations might go. And uh, it's just it's going to be on everyone's radar because right now Texas looks poised to be potentially the first state in the country to really get high-speed rail if this moves forward. Why Texas? Uh, Because in the the other states where it's kind of moved forward a little, uh, it's usually a public uh, project, and so everyone fights about where the route goes, how many stations you're going to have, and if you have too many stations, you can't do high-speed rail because they don't have the space to actually get fast enough. Uh, Whereas here, this private company wants to do it. They said if we get too much um, uh, input from the 
state government, if they, they try to meddle too much, we're just going to pull out. And they said, we were only doing two stations, Houston and Dallas. We're not doing anything in between, probably, and or maybe one station they've talked about. But no, there's another not. very important city I can think of that would <laughs> love some high-speed rail. San Antonio, of course. You, I thought you meant El Paso. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it would be great to have high-speed rail to El Paso. Can you, could we do that? Can you talk, yes, talk to them talk about to them. that? Don't meddle too much. <laughs> Just float that idea and let them decide. Do you have any sense of mind, you know, of, of you know the uh, demand for that? I mean, obviously, we talk about it a lot, you know, um, our roads are congested and everything, mm-hmm. but, you know, with a culture that's sort of built around um, roads, would, would that, you know, get a lot of use? There are actually – the reason they're starting with Houston-Dallas mm-hmm. is there are thousands of people who regularly take Southwest Airlines flights mm-hmm. from Houston-Dallas. They basically commute. Wow. That way, um, they're called super commuters, and it's one of the few uh, routes in the country that has this huge demand of people that just really don't want to live in Dallas or really don't want to live in Houston and just want to. And they fly, fly every day, or you know, a couple times a week or something. It's enough that Southwest has several uh, flights like that just for those people. So um, that's a major target of uh, of this project. And then, th- but they also do want to get people who they hope will just decide driving isn't worth it and. I think they plan that development will happen around the station, so they'll have you know rental cars companies well, set so up. So how fast would you get from Houston to Dallas? On they're like they're advertising in less than ninety minutes. Well, oh, that's not bad. Yeah. And the, are the airlines trying to to quash this? So far, they've stayed neutral. Um, the, what I've heard from some people involved in the project is you know twenty years ago, Southwest aggressively pushed back against an effort to do high speed rail between Houston and Dallas. Southwest hasn't said anything this time, but I've heard some people suggest that the airline industry is so different that they're not going to really try and uh, kill this. It's just not worth the trouble, and that Southwest has grown bigger, and you know they those flights aren't as important to them anymore. Okay. Well, Jim, have you had time to work on your y'all? Um, not not quite yet. Okay. You all, damn. <laughs> Um, let's see. Um, well, what's going on in tricky. the energy world? In well, in, in energy, unfortunately, uh, probably the biggest story in my beat is one of the most complicated to um, cover. It's this question well, you got about a the, minute and a half. Yeah. All right, and go. Uh, let's see. So, so it's this question about whether uh, the state is eventually going to transform its wholesale energy market from its current uh, uh, energy only to the capacity market, which is basically incentive uh, would be a way to kind of incentivize uh, pay. Um, generators uh, kind of extra money to maintain extra capacity. And, th- and that's a question because there are all these questions about whether Texas, as it grows and gets hotter, will have enough uh, energy to kind of meet these uh, demands, uh, um, energy demands uh, during the summer, especially uh, when the air conditioners are, are you know, running uh, on full blast. Um, so it's been a question that's been debated for a couple of years, but it's getting more and more attention. Uh, there was uh, about a month ago a pretty contentious hearing between the uh, uh, Public Utility Commission, or it was a, a legislative hearing uh, in which uh, uh, lawmakers grilled uh, public utility commissioners about uh, their sort of movement towards adopting these rules. And there's questions kind of about whether the PUC even has authority to do this. And there's a lot of uh, lawmakers, the ones who actually understand the issue, there's lawmakers who are um, quite, you know, saying that uh, this should be a legislative decision and and they're they're calling on the PUC to kind of hold off until um, you know we can have another session and hash this out but it's it'd be really interesting to see something like that in session because it was kind of clear too that there's a pretty big learning curve for um, uh, quite a lot of lawmakers too who, who would be kind of weighing in in on that so um, that's a um, it'll be interesting to watch and uh, we're gonna have a uh, urcat uh, uh, the state's uh, grid operator um, uh, is going to re- release a report pretty soon that's going to sort of revise its methodology for um, 
for uh, um, forecasting whether Texas will have this um, um, a, a good what they call a reserve margin, um, uh, sort of the cushion between uh, supply and demand. Uh, they're going to overhaul their methodology, and so hopefully we'll have like good information about uh, about about that uh, in in January. So well, that's a that's a very hopeful note to end on. So Amon, Brandy, Jim, thanks for for joining us. Of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't check in with Julian Aguilar, a reporter out in El Paso. Let's give him a call. Julian, are you there? I am here. How is the El Paso Bureau, the Border Bureau, I should say? The board, the Border Bureau is great. It's looking forward to new and exciting things in 2014, Reed. Yes, and what specifically? What are going to be the big stories? Uh, two main areas, uh, immigration reform, obviously, uh, a lot of folks thought 2013 was the year it was going to happen, a uh, non-election year, um, post-2012 election where the Hispanic vote turned out in droves and gave some pushback against the GOP, but in the end, it's kind of like rooting for the Dallas Cowboys. You don't really know what you're going to get, and you'll probably be disappointed if uh, you're for a specific item. Um, but from what I understand, 2014 is going to see another effort to promote immigration reform, whether it's comprehensive is another issue because the House is going to do, in my opinion, what it did last year and the U.S. House and say that we don't want to take up the Senate bill. So it'll be a piecemeal approach, but you already have folks that are for some sort of change. Um, Republicans and Democrats alike already sort of putting together a strategy to how they move forward in 2014 on something with immigration reform, whether it's a piecemeal effort that um, – deals with the guest worker program that deals with residence, residency status or even a path to citizenship or the DREAM Act or just an overall effort, but it's not going to die, I don't think, and you'll see some sort of uh, effort to, to bring it back to the table in 2014. And another issue is uh, Mexico will affect the United States in 2014, I think, more than it has in the last few years. Uh, you have the border Mexican cities, they're going to undergo the same tax rate, 16% as the rest of Mexico, and that's changed for, uh, I mean, a, a good amount of years. They kept border communities at a lower tax rate to prevent people from coming to the United States to shop, but that's all changed under Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto, and energy reform is a huge deal. Uh, the Mexican Congress is working on the final details of Mexican energy reform. The FEMEX, the national oil industry, has been nationalized for the better part of 70 years, and so now that's all going to change. They're going to allow private investment in FEMEX, and so you got a lot of folks from South Texas that are well-versed in oil and fracking technology just kind of waiting to see what exactly it is they can do in Mexico, and that's going to be a boon to both Mexico and the United States from uh, what most people are saying. All right, sounds good. What about your end? you got a lot of excitement going on, not only with uh, A&M and UT, uh, with Matt Brown and with the Regents, and it just seems to be an issue that doesn't go away. What's next for higher ed, Reed? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think uh, that, you know, it'll be interesting to see if UT, now that they've sort of established that Bill Powers is sticking around and that Matt Brown is not, at least not as a head coach, if they can sort of finally make peace with the UT system and actually have a productive year instead of one that's shrouded in controversy. And meanwhile, A&M is sort of heading into 2014 sort of with an unexpected leadership crisis of their own after what has been a very productive and sort of smooth sailing year and a half preceding it. So, they, I mean, they might be swapping roles here. I mean, it would be great if, they, if neither one of them had any controversy going on, but there's no politics quite like higher ed politics, so that seems – 
like wishful thinking. So we'll just wait and see how that plays out. But uh, I think it's time to wrap the podcast up. So uh, thanks for joining us from afar, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, and we'll see you all soon. From all of us here at the TribCast, including Todd, our producer, we'd like to encourage you to email questions and comments to tribcast at texastribune.org. And thank you to Shiny Ribs for doing our music, as always. Happy New Year, everyone. Okay. Hi, this is Maria Shriver of NBC News and the Shriver Report. Welcome to the Texas Tribune Podcast Tripcast. You can decide which one you like. Happy New Year. It's 2014.